Welcome to another episode of Splice Together. together. <laughs> My <Har> tempo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Harper. This bloody bastard's touching me up. What? And I'm Michelle. Oh, what's in the box? What's in the F-U-C-K. And this is our April Roundup. Yeah! 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 I love Howard Dean. Yeah. <laughs> we need to make t-shirts with this him just the going, official. Yeah! Let's and change, splice together. We're gonna change. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna change our podcast name to the Dean Cast. Yes. Not about Dean Kane. No. But about Howard Dean. Yeah. I wonder what he's up to these days. Probably. And every episode we'll check in. I'm gonna say he runs Howard a Dean's. fisherman shop, like in Maine. <laughs> every every episode we'll check in on the doings of Howard Dean. Okay, that'll be our new mini segment. All right. so it's a side project. We'll yeah. talk about this later. All right, but anyways, as we do at the end of every month or beginning of the month. Um, we're going to talk about all the movies we watched in the month, roughly. So there's some few we'll skip for various reasons, but uh, this is mostly what we watched. And we watched a lot less this month than usual. Well, we were prepping for Alien. True. A and huge then, chunk of this of yeah. April was taken up by the last two thirds of the Alien franchise. But yeah, it's been hard to be motivated about movies right now. Well, <laughs> we've both been really busy between yeah. your school and my work and stuff. Um, new Creep Show has been coming out and even newer creep shows and in the works. So I've been busy with that and you've been busy with school stuff, but still watched probably 10 times more movies than the average person. Probably, yeah. <laughs> so it seems like <laughs> less us, but it's still pretty a lot. <laughs> yeah. But it's not going to match last year. I think we're way too far behind at this point. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see how the summer goes. The second year of the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's stop, uh, goofing around and get right into it serious all right so the first movie that we watched this month is a john carpenter movie so get excited what? it is the ward from 2010 um this is john carpenter's final movie unless he directs another movie i think point. he will come back i hope he does but um that's a whole nother conversation <laughs> although he loves his video game life yeah, so i think he's who knows? more happy just living off his uh whatever his income it comes from yeah now. <laughs> um and uh doing rare interviews and <laughs> watching basketball and playing video games um but yeah the ward was his last movie it was in 2010 uh, it is a thriller centered on an institutionalized young woman who becomes terrorized by a ghost but in reality, she's the ghost terrorizing Johnny Depp because it's played by Amber Heard. That's right. I thought you were about to spoil the movie, but instead you spoiled Johnny Real Depp's life. life. Yeah. <laughs> or Johnny Depp. Um, yeah, Amber Heard. I wish it was not Amber Heard now. Uh, but uh, yeah, it stars Amber Heard and Ma Mammy Gummer, which is just just the weirdest name for yeah. just be Meryl Streep Jr. Come on. Yeah. Um, and Jared Harris, who we like a lot. Mm -hmm. And did we recognize anybody else? None of these other names look familiar to me. They look 
familiar, but I wouldn't know what they were from. Yeah, but Amber Heard, Mammy Gummer, and Jared Harris are definitely the big ones. And I kind of wish, we borrowed this movie from my friend Mark, and I wish we had watched the commentary with John Carpenter and Jared Harris, because that sounds so strange and awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, this was his last movie, and it's like very much like a studio movie. It doesn't really feel like a John Carpenter movie. Um, it's not as bad as I had heard. Like I had heard this movie was terrible. That's why I just kind of had put it off seeing it for so long. But, um, I didn't think it was, it's not his worst movie. Definitely. No. Um, there's at least one or two that I like less than this one. Um, it's just kind of an average, like late two thousands horror movie. Like I feel like there were a ton of movies like this that were like, uh, twisty, like take place in a psych ward or with like, or it all takes place in the serial killer's head. <laughs> like identity in the cell. Like it has a lot in common with those kind of movies. Um, there's definitely a lot of, uh, uh, cliche kind of stuff happening. Yeah. I don't think I'd probably ever watch this again. It's just not very scary. No one. Although not all of his movies are scary. A lot of them are. Yeah. But there's also no real like suspense, no real tension. I mean, they're trying to, but it doesn't come off right. And then, yeah, like you said, it's just, oh, what's the twist going to be? Yeah, they show the monster too early. It's really relying on jump scares, um, some really weird editing choices. So I don't yeah. know. I mean, it's it's passable, but it's pretty clear that Carpenter was just like taking a paycheck and there's not really I couldn't point to anything in this movie that like if you didn't if I didn't know this is directed by him, there's no nothing in it that would indicate to me this is a John Carpenter yeah. flick. Which is disappointing, but yeah, not, not can't win them all, I guess. Yeah, not entirely surprising because, you know, but um, yeah. But anyways, hopefully he'll come back. And so his last movie will be something a little more exciting than this. Yeah. <laughs> but um, anyways, I gave it three stars. I did as well. Cool. So moving on, our next one is something a little bit more interesting than that, I think. Um, and that is The Fury uh, from 1978, yeah. directed by Brian De Palma. Is that, that, is that? <laughs> just kidding? Brian De Palma. <laughs> uh, the Fury is about the X-Men. Basically. Uh, X-Men before the X-Men. A government agent is determined to come to his son's rescue when a sinister official kidnaps him to harness his extremely powerful psychic abilities. Um, stars Kirk Douglas, John Cassavetes, Carrie Snodgrass. That's um, a weird name. She's the one from uh, um, Carrie? Carrie, right? Yeah. And Amy Oh, Irving. no, she's not. She was the... Carrie Snodgrass is the... Older. Girlfriend of Kirk Douglas. Right. Who works in the psych home. Amy Irving is the one from uh, Ka- Carrie, right? Yes. Yep. She's... Uh, <clears throat> I get it confusing because her name in Carrie is like... Uh, Sue Snell, which reminds me of Carrie Snodgrass <laughs> and Carrie. I don't know. Anyways. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Anyways, this movie is basically X-Men and or Scanners. Uh, Scanners came out like right. Well, did you even explain what it is? Yeah, I did. I read the plot. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> I was too. I thought we were just going through the uh, the people. No, I like, read Who's the plot Carrie? and then I read the actors. <laughs> this has been Michelle zoned out for a few seconds. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. I do it too. Um, yeah. what did you think about the Fury? Uh, it was way more different from what I thought it was going to be. So there are a lot of moments that just felt really bizarre in the film. <laughs> it's a pretty strange movie. Uh, there's like some weird xenophobia stuff going on. <laughs> Wait, how do you mean? Like the movie is xenophobic or like the plot? 
is about xenophobia. I mean, the plot has stuff in it. I mean, whether or not the movie is doing that on purpose, I don't know. Because the like main kid, he gets mad about all the Middle Eastern people um, and kills them all at the amusement park. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> because about that part. That's, yeah. he thinks they killed his father or whatever. So he has yeah. this hatred towards Middle Eastern people. The plot <laughs> is really strange. It's really messy because it's all about Kirk Douglas, Kirk Douglas trying to rescue his son. Yeah. But his son has like become insane because he's like, because of the tragedy of like thinking his dad got murdered and he's basically been kidnapped and tried to turn into like a weapon. He's basically like Wolverine or something. Yeah. Um, and that would be great, except he's so annoying. He's really annoying. He's obnoxious and sexist and just a brat. He's just a yeah, spoiled brat. Basically, one of his like <laughs> handlers is like his lover who's like paid to like. Yeah, who's like this 35 year old woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this kid, kid is like 18 or something. And he's like super controlling. I guess that's the theme for the month because we watch another movie later where yeah. it's like super controlling person over a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, uh, but I totally love Kirk Douglas in this film. Cause I feel like he just committed, like, I'm like, I'm going to go for it. He's pretty badass in this movie. He like runs around as like a lot of different costumes and booty shorts He's and like, like swings around like street poles. Like, yeah. Holding families hostage <laughs> so he can get like a shave and a, yeah. beard, a fake hair. Yeah. Uh, like, um, blonde as hair, you know? So yeah, I'm all for Kirk Douglas and the Fury. I just do not care at all about the like kid and his, his son or whatever well, story. Yeah. And then the girl too. Yeah. So the story, the first two thirds of the movie is really kind of confusing and it's plot wise is really strange. Cause it like, you can't, it seems like you can't decide who it's, who's the main character. Is. Yeah. Cause part of the time it's following Kirk, I mean, um, Kirk Douglas and part of the time it's following, Amy Irving's character, who's like another not mutant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who she's has a, like, she's a Patrick Stewart. <laughs> she has a weird ability where she like, uh, she like sees people's, she can like see their memories or something. And then when she does, it makes them bleed yeah. a lot. Like yeah. There's that weird part where they're like, if any of you women are on your menses, like you stay away. <laughs> yeah. Stay a hundred feet away. Cause she'll make you bleed. Yeah. Uncontrollable. Do you bleed? <laughs> so yeah, there is a lot going on in this movie. Yeah. It's pretty messy, but there are some, some sequences that are super inventive and crazy and that make the movie a hundred percent worth it. That's yeah, really I think cool it's shots. worth watching. It's just, it's, I could see, does it have a cult following? I don't Probably. know. Probably. <laughs> Maybe. I, you know, it's funny. I had never really heard of this movie until pretty I've recently. just seen the, the cover and it always makes me think of like a disco soundtrack or look, something. It does look sort of like that. It's, it's a like weird, Xanadu, It doesn't really match dark. the title or what the movie is about. Xanadu um, don't. <laughs> but I'm going to say one thing that's going to spoil this movie. So fast forward two minutes if you don't want to spoil the fury. Um, they blow up John Cassavetes at the end of the movie <laughs> like 12 times in like 10 yeah, seconds. Yeah, that's see, it's uh, crazy. So the movie gets an extra extra points for just that, which, yeah, again, that happens in this. And then apparently there's a lot of controversy at the time because um, De Palma thought that Cronenberg ripped him off in Scanners because Scanners opens with somebody exploding. Look, people are bound to explode eventually in movies, so... I suppose it is. It is a little <laughs> weird, but yeah, I don't know. This movie's clearly ripping off the X-Men that had been yeah. around for 10, 15 years before this. So, um, yeah. Anyways, I gave it a three and a half stars. I did as well. It's somewhere in the middle for me on mm-hmm. De Palma stuff, I guess. 
What's next? Next up, we watch Shocker. Shocker. So Shocker came out in 1989 and it's directed by none other than Wes Craven. Wait, that was that <laughs> Wes Craven? Wes Craven? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. yeah, Wes Craven. After being sent to the electric chair, a serial killer uses electricity to come back from the dead and carry out his vengeance on the football player who turned, who turned him into the police. Yeah. So, simplified version... I don't know. How can you simplify I this? I don't know how. To, that's, I think that's the simple version. Yeah. Basically, yeah. he's an evil serial killer dude. He gets electrocuted, but he uses like child's play esque voodoo powers to like he becomes. Yeah, he's like a TV repairman, and he already like shocks himself all the time. Or something. Yeah, it's really so weird. So he kind of has like supernatural powers. Yeah, it's like some voodoo thing lets him. He doesn't die when he gets in the electric yeah. chair. He like becomes electricity, and he can like jump from body to body or like travel through power lines and stuff and his powers also are travel very, through tv shows yeah his powers <laughs> are very ill-defined so yeah you basically do anything related to electricity and then you also get this like nightmare on elm street dream stuff going on from the main character yeah so this star is michael murphy is, is that, that the kid i assume um that's the dad oh I think Mitch Pelegi. That's the shocker. Yeah. X-Files Skinner. Yeah, Skinner. <laughs> Peter Berg That's is the kid. the kid who he's actually still working. Yeah. I thought we knew Weird. him from something else. I can't We remember. saw him in Fire in the Sky, but that wasn't oh, that right. long after that movie. Um, and Heavyweights. <laughs> yeah. So this was Look, basically. A deli meat. <laughs> This was Wes Craven. Um, he was really irritated with how the franchise, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise was going. So this was his attempt to kind of start up another franchise like that. Yeah. A similar. And it's, you can tell he's very much trying to play to those same formulas. Yeah. It feels like a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street. And then he was like, well, I can't just do dreams again. Like, so There's he also throws in electricity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he shuckers everybody. My overall <laughs> feeling of this movie is that if it was like 20 minutes shorter, the movie would be, I would really love this Yeah, movie. there's like three endings to this. Also, I think I really liked the first half because it was a... Um, I just read my review for this movie. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of my cock and duty TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot you read that. You funny, um, you funny, Michelle. But yeah, for uh, I feel like I remember really liking the first half because it was like this kid was using his psychic connection to the serial killer to solve murders, mm -hmm. and so there were some really gruesome murders and weird stuff going on in the beginning. But then the second half of the movie just goes completely off the rail. So after See, he gets sent to the electric chair, it's just like, uh, I feel the opposite. <laughs> I feel like the movie should have started with him in the electric chair. And then after, Maybe. because all the cartoonish crazy stuff after that was what I really enjoyed. <laughs> I liked the series stuff at the beginning too. It just, they feel like two different movies. That's what I'm saying. So after he, the electric chair, it's like something totally different. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, a movie, this goofy shit, should not be an hour and 40 minutes it's, uh, it's or hour 50 it's way too long 50 minutes. way too long i kept thinking like how much is left <laughs> um but like this movie does have a ghost girl that shoots a laser out of her chest and it has um a little girl that gets possessed by mitch Peggy who drives a bulldozer yeah i mean that's i mean you can't really get better than that <laughs> this would be a great halloween movie to view with a bunch of friends for sure yeah um but uh yeah i don't know 
Yeah, I wish it was. I wish it was a lot tighter, and then I would probably really recommend this movie. But as it stands, it's pretty weird. I don't know that I could really recommend it that highly. Yeah, eventually we'll finish all of Wes Craven's filmography. Yeah, this is definitely <laughs> on the lower end. It's not not as not as bad as a uh, Deadly Friend, or um, what was the, what's the werewolf one that you watched that was really bad? What's it called? Cursed. Cursed. That was yeah, so that. bad. Is that worse than? Is that the worst <laughs> that was one? Way worse than this movie. Was it worse was. than Deadly Friend? Yes. Wow. It's awful. Okay. <laughs> Deadly Friend, I think, is really entertaining in, in how goofy it is. But... I gave Cursed one star. Yikes. I gave Deadly Friend two and a half stars. What did you give Shocker? Shocker, I gave three stars. I did too. <laughs> we have the same mind on Shocker. Yeah, it's on HBO Max right now. So yeah, go check it out, Wes Craven fans. <laughs> All right. Or not. So let's continue on our trend of watching semi-obscure movies by very popular directors or yeah, directors this was my pick <laughs> you want to you want to explain it yeah so we watched night riders with a k <laughs> burr, burr, burr. yeah good <laughs> renaissance trumpets mm-hmm. uh so this came out in 1981 it's directed by george a romero is there a different george romero i mean there's his son He's is also he george, george b romero, romero? <laughs> <laughs> he should be i think he's just george romero uh, so this is George Romero's unusual story of a modern-day Renaissance troupe whose participants participants follow a medieval code of honor. So it stars Ed Harris, who is like the king of the Renaissance festival, and they are instead of horses, they all ride motorcycles. Which, by the way, <laughs> apparently that was like a last. Like they changed that. Like the script. Like they had horses. The, yeah, which isn't that weird. Like it feels like that if they didn't have so motorcycles. Weird. This movie doesn't have a plot. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> the only good, like, interesting thing is, like, when they're actually doing motorcycle stunts. Like, <laughs> well, maybe. And yeah. Ed Harris's butt. Um, <laughs> so this also stars Gary Lighty, Tom Savini, Amy Ingersoll, uh, Pat- Patricia Tallman, and I don't remember anybody else. Who's really. uh, George Romero's wife is in it, right? What's her name? I don't know. Um, Her name... Her name is... <laughs> is it Amanda Davies? No. Keep going. I'll find it. Cynthia Adler? No. I'll recognize it. Just go ahead. Anyway, this movie is kind of weird, and it's also really long. It's like two and a half hours, and it's really... Exa- it's all that it is. Like, <laughs> it's a Renaissance festival with motorcycles and, like, these weird character dramas and relationship stuff going on. But then you get, like, this evil corporation group who wants to buy out the festival but like ed harris is like no it's against the code man so it's really like easy rider but in costumes it's all about like living the free life it is much more like easy rider (laughs) than the poster or description that would make you think Uh, christine forrest was his wife who was in it um she's like the mechanic yeah yeah, this movie's really strange. Really strange. It feel you can tell that this movie's like super personal to him because mm-hmm. it's like painfully earnest. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, like and it feels like it's almost about his group of it's like all the George Romero regulars are in this movie and it feels like it's a movie about him struggling to keep that group together. Yeah, that's when he's what like having like. a hard time getting funding for like bigger bigger and better movies and stuff. But also Romero's main like theme throughout is ACAB 
cops or B-I-T-C-H. It's definitely a uh, anti-cop thing going on. Um, and uh, yeah, my my big prompt. Well, the movie's really long, really long. It's two and a half hours long. Did you already say that? Yeah, um, I did. Sorry, I was looking up his wife. Um, which is a problem, but not a, as big of a problem as I expected. My real problem with this movie, I feel like I'd like this a lot more, except that I, I really don't like Ed Harris's character in this movie at all. Yeah, I feel the same. I was also, I was rereading my review and I said like, even though this film is really long, by the end, I did care about the characters. Yeah. But Ed Harris is kind of the weakest of yes, them all. Yes, I totally agree. I care about all of the other minor characters and there's a lot of, there's interesting stuff happening with a bunch of them. But, but maybe it's because Ed Harris was the outsider, so he didn't I mean, know yeah, what maybe. was going on. He's just kind of obnoxious and pretentious and Shows aggravating. Shows all the time. I mean, that's true. <laughs> He's just really unlikable, which means the power of the finale of this movie, which is all about, I mean, I won't say exactly what happens. Say but it. No, I don't want to spoil it. Um, but yeah, it's all about like you're caring about him and I don't care about him. Yeah. But what's the other weird thing about it that I did really want to mention is that um, there's so many, there's weirdly progressive stuff happening all throughout Mm -hmm. this movie. There's a character who's gay who like, there's, there's a weird scene where like, uh, these characters are like basically trying to force him to come out. Yeah, that everybody, was a little is, uncomfortable. That part's not cool. <laughs> but after that, there's like these very just like kind of honest, earnest discussions where he's like, I don't know if I am or not. And, yeah. you know, uh, and there's like kind of a love story between him and another character eventually. And um, yeah, there's, I don't know. It's surprise. That part of the movie was like really kind of took me aback because it's really kind of refreshingly open for a movie that came out in 81. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, this is such a weird movie. Yeah. So strange. You also get Tom Savini, like wearing that little bikini thing. Oh yeah. Oh, this is where that famous shot, there's a really famous <laughs> photo of Tom Savini where he's wearing like medieval leather and yeah. doing like the po- the pose, the Burt Reynolds pose. Oh, I forgot. It also has the, the, uh, the evil corporation guy is the lawyer from Jurassic Martin Park. Martin Ferrero, yeah. <laughs> he also plays an evil yeah. like, lawyer in Corporate. this. <laughs> he's like trying to buy the troop yeah. basically to like sell them, to like so, yeah. get them in L- or Las Vegas. You always get, so you get the corporate storyline, you get the cops or evil storyline, you get hippie culture dying storyline. people jousting <laughs> on motorcycles. The yeah. stunts look really dangerous in this. Uh, de- definitely. There's a part when a motorcycle flies, of course, and hits a lady in midair. I'm and I still sure she did get hit. I think like, she might have died <laughs> <laughs> in real life. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, movie's really odd. It's different. Yeah, I'm gl- really glad we watched it. Um, and there's still a handful more of Romero's movies that we need to yeah, catch up on. We're and, getting there though. And what, there's a there's another one that's getting like a big re-release soon, right? Yeah, uh, fun, the um, fun Carnival House, one. It's something like that. It's, fun, it's not listed on Letterbox, so I don't know. Yeah, fun House is the Toby Hooper movie, but it's something like that. It's like some kind of carnival. But anyways, so we'll check that out when that comes out. I ended up giving it three and a half. I did too. And it's on Ugh. Amazon Prime and Tubi. Our ratings are so boring. We need to have something different. It was a weird. I need month. to have a. We need to have where one of us gives a five and the other person gives a one. I think there so there could argue. be one later. We'll find out. All right. Um. Next up, we watch Day of the Animals. Yeah. 
So this came out in 1977. It's directed by William Girdler. And I'm going to let Harper tell you all about the Girdler man. <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm, I'm doing research because I'm going to be on a podcast sometime soon, which I'll talk about on here when it actually happens. But um, uh, talking about William Girdler, who is a really interesting director, but um, I'll save all my musings about him for that podcast. But um yeah, he uh, he directed The Manitou that we watched a month or two ago and talked about. Um, Day of the Animals is the movie he made, uh, I think, right before The Manitou. Um, this one's like a pseudo-sequel to Grizzly. That's another yeah. like animal attack movie. So the depletion of the Earth's ozone layer causes animals above the altitude of 5,000 feet to run amok, which is very unfortunate for a group <laughs> of hikers who get dropped off up there by a helicopter just before the quarantine is announced. Um, what could possibly go wrong? So it stars Christopher George, Linda Day George, Leslie Nielsen, uh, Michael Ansara, Ruth Roman. Uh, I think that was the only folks that we recognized, really. Um, so, yeah. I um, I thought this was pretty good. It's definitely like a B movie, but yeah. it's interesting. Um, most of the animal attack stuff feels pretty r dangerous and real, except for when Leslie Nielsen <laughs> fights a bear. Oh Leslie God. Nielsen fights a bear with his shirt off and he's basically just like hugging this bear for like 30 <laughs> seconds. Do you remember that? Yeah. And it's clearly a man in a bear suit. Yeah. Otherwise, like a lot of the animal things feel pretty real and like. Oh, yeah. Those mountain lion attacks look that looked very scary. real. Really scary. I'd be terrified if I was one of those actors. <laughs> um, I feel like this is a great example of how William Girdler is able to take a concept that is pretty dumb <laughs> and turn it and give it way more like uh pathos and uh make it much more compelling and dramatic than it has any right to be yeah like the movie works pretty well despite the very silly concept i think yeah i was a little i think it is pretty original i guess like the way he carries about um having everybody kind of slowly turn crazy or like certain people go crazy. Other people's don't like mm -hmm. depending on how much sun exposure they have. Yeah. I wish they would have played that up a little bit more. Yeah, it's I like not, that aspect. You could more. watch the movie and not catch that at all. Yeah. Cause I was like, well, why are their faces like changing? And it's like, Oh, well, and it's like the ozone layer. Is so thin they're all being roasted to death. Well, and it's <laughs> like the ozone layer thing is affecting the animals, but it's like, it's also affecting the people. Yeah. <laughs> so which they don't they never really explain why some of the people kind of go like Leslie Nielsen they goes kinda, crazy. Yeah. They, they kind of at the end they this they kind of act like it's almost like a virus and like some people are immune to it and some people aren't. Oh yeah. Because so they're like, like we have girl. a little kid here who's like unaffected. Yeah. But I really find it odd that Leslie Nielsen his whole character is so different from like airplane and like comedy stuff. This like, is the kind Leslie of stuff Nelson he used to do before that, though. Tries to rape a girl in this oh, movie. Yeah. Well, this <laughs> is like what? Well, it's funny to think, but yeah, we grew up knowing him mostly as like the parody guy, yeah, like scary movie. I'm like, when and, is he gonna start cracking jokes? And he's yeah. just like the most arrogant, obnoxious, evil person yeah. in the entire. But, I mean, group. he was like a hunky, like adventure. Was uh, he? Type. Yeah, I he, need to find like Leslie Nelson, Forbidden when he's Planet. Young. He's like he's like the hero <laughs> space guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of th this is exactly the kind of character he used to play before he became like the goofy mm. parody guy. Damn, look at Leslie Nelson Young. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I don't know. I liked the, I especially like the parts when they're like back in the town and everybody's like 
I guess this ozone layer thing is real. Like yeah. it's like all these country people like suddenly believing in climate change sort of. Yeah. Um, and then there's like this quarantine, like creepy guys in like uh, hazmat suits and stuff like that. That stuff is cool too. So that was pretty good. Get, you get mountain lion attack, birds attack. Lots of birds. Snakes. Yeah. I, I think someone gets spit by a snake. You get rat yeah, attack. Yeah. You get dog attack. Oh, the rat thing was cool. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. There's like a car full of snakes. Yeah, definitely oh, right. snakes. Um, yeah, the rats were like the guy's house. Like the Bear ranger. attack. Yeah, definitely the bear. <laughs> what else is on this poster that I missed? I, I didn't know. see any kitty cats. Well, just the big cats, but yeah. No, I want like Harley so attacking like a dog Leslie growling Nelson. at somebody. Yeah, dog attacks. Oh yeah, you see, oh There's yeah. There's a whole scene like where they or get wild attacked. dogs or something. Yeah, or coyotes. <laughs> so this is like the ultimate man attack. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is like the ultimate animal attack movie because it's like all the animals are going crazy, not yeah. just like there's a man eater bear. If you like the birds, then step aside. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's not it's not bad. It's not certainly not for everybody, but um, it's not as fun as the Manitou. But no, this agreed. was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be boring and like like the budget would have been awful and very fake like animal attacks, but all the animal stuff was real. So that was, that made it better. Yeah. Uh, I gave this a three and a half. I gave it three. Fair. So this uh, is on Amazon prime and two B. Let me ask you a question, Michelle. Yeah. Do you want to skip ahead and talk about our other girdler movie now? Sure. Let's do that. So we watched it a few weeks after that, but, um, we also watched Sheba Baby, <laughs> Sheba, comma, baby, um, from 1975. This is two years before Day of the Animals. So, yeah, keep in mind, he made nine movies in six years, seven years, something like that. And this is pretty different. All <laughs> his movies are pretty different. Sheba, yeah, if you told me, <laughs> if I didn't know better, if you told me Sheba Baby, Day of the Animals, and The Manitou were all directed by the same person, I would not believe you. Like these movies have very little in common. I also really like William Girdler's uh, picture on Letterbox. What is that? <laughs> have you Let seen me look. it? Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's the picture. I always show. Yeah, he's, it's like from a VHS. Yeah. Rip, and it and, says like director. Yeah, he's got like aviator glasses on. Um, so Sheba Baby. Also, I'm just gonna say Girdler is my like top director for the year so far watching three of his films right on (laughs) probably watch another one before the the end of the year (laughs) um so sheba babies from 1975 uh it stars pam greer as sheba baby um a chicago private detective who returns back home to louisville kentucky to help her father fight mobsters yes pam Um, greer is awesome Yes, it also stars um, Austin Stoker, Derville Martin, Rudy Challenger, and some other folks. Um, and Derville Martin, we had seen in some other stuff. Oh, is it Rudy? Is Rudy Challenger the one? Uh, no, who's the? Which one of these guys was the guy? Is it Austin Stoker? It's Derville it's Austin Martin. Stoker. No, but Austin Stoker is in um, Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, well, Derville Martin's in Rosemary's Baby. That's what I thought you were saying. Yeah, but it was like as a nobody character. <laughs> hey, take what you can get, Harper. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying Baby. <laughs> Austin Stoker was one of the main characters in Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah. So that's cool. And he's also in Abby, that other Girdler movie. Um, but yeah, so, but neither of us have like a ton of experience with black exploitation movies. Um, but I enjoyed this one quite a bit. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I haven't, I've only seen probably four or five black exploitation movies and this one, lots of the reviews for this movie on like IMDb are like, this is like 
Pam Greer light. This is like the weakest black exploitation movie ever. Cause it's like compared to a lot of those movies, like, Oh my God, like uh coffee, like Pam Greer's running around with her boobs out with like a shotgun, like blowing pimps away <laughs> <laughs> compared to that kind of stuff. This movie yeah. is a little more tame. Like it's a little, there's no nudity, I don't think. And it's pretty, um, I mean, there's definitely, there's people get killed, but there's not, it's not like super bloody or anything like that. It's not ultra violent. Like a lot of the black exploitation movies were. Yeah. Um, but I actually, that made me like it a lot more if I'm being totally honest. Um, cause I thought this was really interesting because, uh, it's pretty, I think that's one of the other interesting things about William Girdler is I feel like he had this period when he did a couple of black exploitation movies and, I feel like he's really respectful of the characters. It's l- a lot less exploitative than a lot of the other black exploitation movies are. So what makes it so it's exploitative because it's like non-black producers, writers, directors well, trying to tell black stories. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's what black exploitation kind of refers yeah. to. And not even necessarily that it's always like a white producer or director, but that it's like aimed at making money off a of black audience For a black by using yeah. by like using stereotypical black characters. Yeah. I feel like um, this really, I guess there are a few stereotypical, like there's an actual like pimp. <laughs> yeah. But it's mostly just played for laughs, right? Like he's not the main character or anything. Yeah. I think all the main protagonists, especially protagonists, like the villains are a little cliche goofy, but um, like Pam Greer yeah. and, and Brick and her father are all pretty like well-rounded characters, I think. Yeah, and then at the near the end, you kind of get the um, reveal that like, oh, it's actually this super fancy, rich white dude who is right. actually the evil guy. Yeah, like so. it's really all, all the bad stuff is really being run by some rich yacht. Yeah, riding white guy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think Pam Greer is great in this. I think a lot of the acting is really stiff, but I wonder how much of that is due to the fact that it seems like the whole movie was dubbed. Yeah. Um, so that might have something to do with how it all feels a little wooden. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't feel like most of the, most of the main characters are not really reduced to like harmful stereotypes. And this movie has Pam Greer kicking some serious ass and scuba diving and driving a boat while shooting a guy with a harpoon. So yeah, I'm very surprised Pam Greer like was never a bond girl. Yeah, she really should have been. Yeah, because like this is kind of like all Bond territory, yeah, like action is. that she pulls off, like chasing bad guys, shooting people, and like you said, and scuba suiting. And, yeah. <laughs> and there's this great scene where she interrogates this guy in a, a car wash. Yeah. <laughs> like in the car, and she makes him roll the window down. She's like holding his face up to the window, like I'm yeah. gonna stick your face out. Like, like I don't think that would really even hurt. It definitely would. She's kill like, you. you got the hot wax. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget, you got. <laughs> yeah, that scene was awesome. Yeah, um, I really like Pam Greer in this. And the music in this movie was great too. The score was awesome, like <laughs> funky music. Um, that was all. That's one really cool thing about black exploitation movies in general is they all have great original funky scores. Yeah, um, like Roy or um, Ayers and stuff. Yeah, it's some good, really cool stuff. Uh, but yeah, I enjoyed this one. I liked it. I liked it better than Day of the Animal. I think. The yeah, me too. Um, I gave this a three and a half as well. I did. As well cool so now back to the beginning of the month yeah so we watched sid and nancy sid and nancy so sid and nancy came out in 1986 and it's directed by alex cox and we ordered it from Criterion a million years ago yeah. and finally got it it's supposed <laughs> to be last month's pick but whatever um 
So this follows the story of the punk rock band, the Sex Pistols, who venture out on their tour of the southern United States. But temperamental bassist Sid Vicious is forced by his bandmates and their manager to travel without his troubled girlfriend, Nancy Spongen, who decides that she'll meet him in New York after a traumatic event. And then the band breaks up and Sid begins his solo career in New York City, but their turbulent relationship uh, falls into the depths of drug addiction, codependency, and a journey with oh no God. return. This is a long I summarized that. Yeah, that's There's long. like way more. <laughs> I mean, that tells a lot about this movie. Um, so, stars Gary Oldman as Sid Vicious, Chloe Webb as Nancy Spungen. Uh, you also got David Heyman, Debbie Bishop, Andrew Scofield, Xander Berkeley. Mm, I know there is one guy we recognize, but Courtney Love is in this. That's weird. Yeah, some really minor character. I think she had auditioned for Nancy, and then I could have seen that. I think Alex Cox (laughs) had her play something, star in something else later because she didn't get it. Yeah. Uh, So, what did you think? I'm a little mixed on this. Um, I mostly liked it. I think we had the same thoughts when we talked about it before. When, like, for the first like 75 percent of the movie, while it's really fun it's mm-hmm. like very funny and it's wild and like in a train spot i mean this movie had a lot in common with train spotting i guess yeah I didn't think about that but like it's when it's exciting it's really funny and crazy and exciting uh but then in the last like third when it dives headlong into like depressive drug addiction land i get i'll lose a lot of interest like it just gets really yeah. kind of boring because it's kind of them just doing the same stuff over and over yeah again. if they hadn't made it so repetitive like i feel like they could have gotten the same message across I mean, without it being like maybe. literally the same i mean thing. it's kind of the whole point is that like they can't break out of it but like it's just i don't well, know, I get all that like that's fine but like do yeah. you have to do the same exact scene every day <laughs> like yeah it's just they fight they do drugs they fight did they do drugs? <laughs> yeah. To, to me, the highlight of this movie is um, this is early Roger Deakins yeah. cinematography. Um, and the whole movie looks awesome. Yeah, it does look really good. Uh, it's not like your typical, like, fancy in-your-face Roger Deakins, but it's very well shot. And um, there are a lot of sequences that are really cool. In particular, when they're shooting his, his first solo music video, is probably my favorite part of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. That part's great. Um. um I also thought Gary Oldman and Chloe Webb did a really good job. I mean, I ended up really finding her annoying, so she pulled it off. Yeah, because Nancy is constantly like, ah, no, no. She's just screaming all the time. Yeah. Um, I really like uh, Gary Oldman in his, like, undies in his mom's house. Like, come on, got to clean the dishes. And then, like, running out into the street chasing after Nancy, who's yeah. wearing, like, his mom's robe or something. <laughs> so, yeah, there were a lot of good funny parts in the beginning. Yeah. Um, but then we also discovered that, like, this whole movie is based around, it starts with Sid Vicious holding, like, a bloody knife Mm-hmm. And then we found out that didn't even happen. Like, yeah, it, um, is, it makes it seem like he kills Nancy. Yeah, like Nancy did die. And I think I don't know what the exact call was. was. It seems like it was probably an OD. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't think he necessarily stab. He didn't stab her. I don't yeah. think it's really true. It's really odd. Um, yeah, this movie Unless they're just putting like symbolically the blame on him. Yeah. I don't know. The movie is pretty controversial. Um, a lot of people think it really misrepresents both of them. Um, 
or misrepresents the other bandmates yeah. in, in a lot of ways too. Yeah, the bandmates don't really get anything, any good but moments. It's kind of weird too. It said it in the trivia that like Alex Cox really, the only reason he lobbied really hard to direct this movie is because he hates Sid Vicious and he didn't want anybody else to make a movie where it made him look like whitewashed him, you know? Yeah. Uh, which is weird to like be really into directing a movie about somebody you don't like. <laughs> I find that very strange. And Gary Oldman didn't like uh, Sid Vicious either and really just did it for a paycheck. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I, I feel a little mixed on this. I mostly enjoyed it, but I don't really feel like I'm that interested in watching it again. Um, I would probably watch it way later on. Yeah. Maybe like five years. I mean, according <laughs> to my rating, which is the three and a half, I only give three and a half to movies that I plan on watching again at some point. Yeah. So... <laughs> So, yeah, I gave it three and a half Legally, as well. Legally, required to. But I do think Gary Oldman and Chloe Webb are great in this. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. And Roger Dinkin. Dinkin? MVP. Dinkin? <laughs> I think it came Roger out Dinkin. Dinkum. <laughs> Deacons. Roger Duncan Donuts. That trash scene, though. <laughs> <laughs> that trash scene. Oh, yeah, that scene when, like, trash is raining down. Yeah. That was great. I forgot about that. <laughs> All right, let's move on, though. Could this movie be any different from Sid and Nancy? I don't <laughs> think so. Uh, our next movie was Eniara from 2018, directed by, uh, oh boy, Pella Kagerman and Hugo Lilja. This movie is from where? Sweden? Is it Sweden? Uh, Denmark. Denmark. Um, this is a sci-fi movie that we've wanted to watch for a long time and finally got around to it because it's on Hulu now. Um a ship carrying settlers to a new home on Mars after Earth is rendered uninhabitable uh, is knocked off course, causing the passengers to consider their place in the universe. So essentially, like, it's supposed to be like a three-month, basically like a cruise, like a big cruise ship. I think it's only three weeks. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's only three weeks. Yeah. But either way, it's a short trip. So it's basically like a cruise ship that's also taking them to their new home on Mars. And uh, very early, like a few days in, they have to make an emergency maneuver to avoid hitting like an asteroid field or something. And space debris, they have to eject all their fuel. So they lose the ability to steer the ship. And so the ship is like woefully off course and headed nowhere. And they lie to the passengers and tell them like, uh, yeah, we think within the next two years, we'll be able to rendezvous with a celestial body and get back on course. Yeah, and like slingshot around using the gravitational force. Yeah, but it becomes very clear that that's a lie and that they don't expect ever to be rescued or find a way yeah. to re correct their course. And I, I don't think they go into it enough in the beginning, but like my first instinct when this happens, like wouldn't they send rescue ships or have escape pods? But I think like Earth is kind of like a hellhole. Yeah. Um, so I kind of feel like it's a like last mission almost like get everybody to Mars and we're going to restart there. Right. I think so, so. That's I feel like they should have explained maybe that a little more because like, why wouldn't they just send like another ship to come get them? Like, <laughs> well, I guess part of it is like, yeah, if they're off course, it'd be hard to plan a rendezvous. Like if they're really off course, yeah, it'd be hard to catch up with them if they're going full speed or whatever. But um yeah, I thought, yeah, and the main character is this woman who, uh, she runs this, like, it's hard to describe. It's like this weird therapeutic thing, like computer AI on the ship where people can come and, like, if you lay down on the floor, this computer thing will, like, project into your brain, like, uh, the experience escapes. of being back yeah. on Earth in, like, pristine nature. 
just very calming scenes to relax you. But um, basically the computer gets like overused because they're all stuck on the ship for years and people like take advantage of it because they're all like going crazy, getting depressed. And it gets like infected with depression. Yeah, basically all the humans overdo it and they basically are killing this AI sort of. And then things get really bad. Yeah, (laughs) it gets really. Yeah. So this movie's like hard sci-fi like mm-hmm. how do these people survive and it's very philosophical and like how do people react when it's like well we're never getting off the ship these these 300 people or whatever the only 300 people i'll ever see for the rest of my life yeah um i thought this was really great i thought it was great too and it also it does a great job of like you get these little stories and different characters and then you get to follow them like it does a lot of time jumps yeah and then also the time jumps are kind of like oh my god like yeah the jumps are like 24 years later yeah it's like week three (laughs) year seven yeah uh yeah and then by the end of the movie it's like year five million six hundred (laughs) and ninety three they finally made it to a celestial body yeah so yeah it's it gets very dark um really dark I mean, they kind of explore like all the different human emotions, I guess, except maybe happiness. Uh, <laughs> well, there's some <laughs> in the beginning, but the more it goes on, it's like, eh. well, like the saddest <laughs> moment comes right after like the happiest moment. Cause she yeah. basically invents the main character invents this thing that like projects like uh giant views of nature, like on either side of the ship. So when you look out the windows, it looks like a waterfall and not or pitch black. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but something awful happens right after she turns the machine on. Um, So yeah, this movie reminded me of Solaris in how it's like very cynical about like humankind and uh, just its view of like our journey into space. Yeah. Um, It's a great concept and it really plays out in interesting ways. But I think the like Swedish viewpoint is a little too um, Swedish. It's not Swedish, Denmark. Denmark. Well, the language Danish. says Swedish. Um, they're a little too, like, optimistic about everybody because now that we've lived through a pandemic, <laughs> it's like, mm, I think everyone would have killed each other within 30 way days. Way sooner than they yeah. do in this. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way people are making it 24 years on this ship. Yeah, maybe true. Um, so that's the only... Especially because it's a I bunch of... Those were probably a little unrealistic. <laughs> maybe so, yeah. But yeah, this is really interesting. This is a movie I'd definitely be interested in watching again sometime. Uh, yeah. I thought it was really smart. Uh, and it's, I think it's based on a book, which I would like to read now. Um, I gave it four stars. You have four stars as well, and it's on Hulu. Yeah, that's Aniara. So next up... Um, is Spontaneous from 2020. It's one of the ones we missed last year. Um, So it's from 2020. It's directed by Brian Duffield. Um, When students in their high school begin inexplicably exploding, literally, seniors Mara and Dylan struggle to survive in a world where each moment may be their last. It's basically YOLO, the movie, right? Spontaneous human combustion. Um, And this is... This is a movie that like could not have, I wish we had watched this when it came out uh, in 2020, because this is a movie that like just by sheer weird coincidence came out at a time when we all thought we might all die Mm. uh, at any given moment. Um, So it's very, uh, um, I can't remember the word I'm looking for here, but uh, interesting timing uh, for when this came out. 
Um, it stars a bunch of people who we didn't really recognize. Well, the main girl, Catherine Langford, is a Netflix person. And oh, yeah. she was in Knives Out. Um, she's in that... 13 Reasons. 13 Reasons Why. And show. Love, Simon. And she plays like the daughter in Knives Out. I haven't recognized the guy. His name I thought was so familiar. Charlie yeah. Plummer. Yeah, I was like, like, is he related to Christopher Plummer? Like, <laughs> I mean, grandchild. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I hadn't seen him in anything. Yeah. Who um, else? I thought there was somebody else that looked familiar. I don't remember. None of the teachers, I guess. Who knows? Um, what did you think of this movie? I think this is where we're going to differ. Yeah, probably. I thought it was okay. I wasn't that enthralled with it. Um, and it's because it's just a little too cutesy and like teenage rom-com. Um, so I don't know. I enjoyed all the exploding parts. <laughs> so I liked it when the characters died. Yeah, mostly. in bloody, gory ways. <laughs> but yeah, for me, it was, it was fine. I just, I don't know. The chemistry between the two main people is just like, eh. <laughs> See, yeah, I feel very differently for sure. Um, I, well, I love movies like this where you have a just a weird concept that never really gets explained. It's basically like, okay, it's a world where people spontaneously combust and here's the characters we throw in that situation and just let it happen and see what happens. Yeah. I love those kinds of stories where, yeah, you just introduce real characters into strange situations and just kind of let it play out. Um, and I thought, I thought the main two have a lot of chemistry and the, her, uh, the main girl's friend too. I thought there was a lot of interesting, good chemi friendship chemistry there too. Yeah. I liked her. Um, I thought it was really impressively earnest in how it was kind of like, okay, well this is what would happen if like, you know, young people had these suddenly had the experience that they might die tomorrow or well, five seconds from now. That's the only thing I kind of liked was that if it's an allegory for school shootings and it hit the nail right on the head, like, sure. yeah, because totally. that's what all these students are experiencing right now. Like yeah. Not knowing what's going to happen if they go into school or like if there is a school shooting, how likely it is that will inspire other people to do a school shooting. So yeah, no, that's a really fair reading of the movie. Um, but yeah, I just thought, I thought the lead performances were good. And I thought the writing was really sharp. I, I, I mean, it is definitely cutesy, but I found it to be more clever than annoying to me. Um, I just hate these young teenagers. Yeah, you really do. <laughs> um, hashtag get off my lawn. Yeah. I'm just old. Um, <laughs> uh, I liked this a lot. I thought it was, I thought it was really clever and well done. I mean, the ending is a little like, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't like super duper crazy about the ending. That's probably the only thing I would say is a downside to me just cause it just sort of, I don't know, just sort of moves on, but I don't know how that's, that's the problem with those kind of stories that I mentioned yeah. where the weird concept <laughs> that never gets explained is, I mean, it's just like zombie movies. Like there are zombies. We don't know why. So the end, there's no zombie movie with a hat with an ending. That's really satisfying. Right. Yeah. There's never a cure. There's right. never like, Oh, it's we just found like our safe the place. story just kind of continues. And the part we see is over. That's yeah. kind of how this feels too. Um, so yeah, the ending is not super duper satisfying, but, um, I appreciate it's like, it's a very interesting horror coming of age movie that I really enjoyed. I appreciate the amounts of blood they used. A lot of blood. <laughs> you know, people, people spontaneously combust. It's a lot of blood. Yeah. <laughs> um, I gave this a four star. Gave it three stars. Yeah. So that's our big fight for this month. <sighs> 
<laughs> Let us know what you thought about spontaneous <laughs> so that I can be the winner. Whatever. <laughs> All right. I think we can move on. Yep. Uh, so another exciting thing that happened this month is The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs came back on Shutter for season three. Um, we skipped the first week of the show uh, because both the movies they played were terrible. <laughs> um, yeah. It was what was it? It was Mother's Day and what was the second? House one? by the Cemetery. House by the Cemetery is not terrible. House but by it's the not Cemetery great. had creepy, gross special effects that made it worth watching. It has a handful of great moments, but most of the movie is really boring. But yeah, it was boring, and Mother's Day it was just like sense. Mother's I Day don't was care. stupid. I don't. Like, I hate <laughs> trauma movies. I'm sorry. I know I have. I have a lot of friends who are big trauma fans, and I just don't get it. I find this movie other super than the annoying. Toxic Avenger. I don't think I've enjoyed probably we, any. We like Class of Nuke. I'm high. Okay, that's true. But I feel like if I watched those at home by myself, I'd be like, this is dumb. But <laughs> both of those movies we watched in a, the- a packed theater. Yeah, maybe where that's why was I like blast. them. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe Mother's Day would have been fun with a. I couldn't even pay attention. I thought it was so dumb. It just felt like a ripoff of Texas Chainsaw with none of the good parts. <laughs> Correct. But the second week had some interesting, uh, interesting movies. Um, and the first one was Audition. Boo! <laughs> uh, and I wish you had paid more attention. You I were busy. Should have. You were busy working on something. I don't remember what. Um, probably homework. And uh, because. Um, this oh you're working on our alien podcast oh. i think <laughs> um because i we hadn't seen this in a long time michelle has a very controversial history with audition i don't like it uh i so don't get it and i don't like we it. have these halloween parties and we people get people guests of the parties get to choose a movie Audition is the only movie that we've ever rejected some of that pick because Michelle <laughs> didn't want to watch it. It's not good. <laughs> See, I, I strongly disagree on that. Like, point. I know everyone loves this film, but what's the appeal? You get to watch some dude in a bag eating barf. No, like. I, do, <laughs> no I don't. I don't think Audition is a great movie to watch on <laughs> Halloween. I will agree with you on that. It's not a fun, like, group Halloween movie. But it is a great horror movie. Uh, I guess we should say what it's about and who directed it. It's about a dude in a bag Um, eating barf. (laughs) Barf. Audition is directed by Takeshi Miki. It's one of his like 112 movies he's directed. That is not an exaggeration. Uh, It's from 1999. Seven years after the death of his wife, company executive Aoyama is invited to sit in on auditions for an actress. Leafing through the resumes in advance, his eye is caught by Yamazaki Asami, a striking young woman with ballet training. Is it actually auditions for an actress? I thought it was auditions for a new wife. Well, so what it is, is his friend is like a casting director, and they basically hold this casting. It's like kind of a fake casting call mm-hmm. for a movie that they know is not really going to happen. Okay, it's Weinstein. Just, yeah, <laughs> it's just so he can kind of... And it's not... I mean, it sounds creepier than it is in the movie. Like, it's more like he's just trying to find a good woman, although that's also part of the thing is like... He's super shallow and awful. very shallow. He's like, I want somebody who's wise and... Uh, smart and can hold a conversation with me and is educated, but someone young. <laughs> yeah. Someone young, beautiful, and will do everything that I say. Yeah. Uh, so that part is certainly creepy, but it's played. Why can't I find anybody? The whole, the first like two thirds of the movie or a half is played very like sitcom-y, soap, almost soap opera-y. Like it's shot like yeah. a TV show. Um, and then the part I had forgotten about this movie is how like abstract and surreal it gets in the second half that like you don't really know what's real and what's like his dream or if he's like 
if the good stuff that's happening is not real and it's just him like trying to survive this torture that she's doing to him. Yeah. Cause eventually like the last 15 minutes of the movie are like some of the most disturbing, hard to watch things in a horror movie I've ever seen for sure. Um, where basically she's like torturing him because she's like, you lied to me. You said you would love only me and you also love your son and your dog and your dead wife. Um, yeah, these like really, really intense, grotesque torture (laughs) things. That's what this movie's super famous for. But yeah, I think, I think there's some really interesting stuff. I think this movie's way more complex than I remembered it. Um, and you know, people tend to just be like, Hey, this is that movie where that, that, girl makes a guy eat barf and she like exactly sticks needles in I his said. face and cuts his foot off and stuff dude in a bag eating barf yeah but i feel like it's super the second half of this movie is super complex and there's a lot of interesting ideas about yeah. uh sexism and misogyny and male and female relationships i do regret not watching it more because i did get more interested in the end part like you said after yeah. all the barf eating um <laughs> how many times are you gonna say that uh but also um forgot my train of thought goodbye train <laughs> <laughs> what was i gonna say oh it's the gore was so like the gory effects were oh, really good and i was like mm, that's so... like a tongue like a, a tongue that's been cut off just flopping around it looks really realistic and cutting <laughs> off the feet is so yeah grossly real looking too so i was like oh maybe i should have paid attention <laughs> yeah. i thought this was great and joe bob's commentary on it was really interesting too just talking about like how the way it's shot in the beginning is like it mirrors a lot, this certain kind of like Japanese soap opera show. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I would certainly want to watch it again and make you watch it a third time. Oh, I'll give it like three years. I'll Couple rewatch years. it again. We'll pick it at Halloween this year. Have um, you pick audition. <laughs> <laughs> audition. I swear to God. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I gave it a four star. I gave it two. Which I think is an extra half star. <laughs> two? Damn. My previous score was one. Yeah. Man, I forgot you really hated this movie. I did. I mean, you can't go into it thinking like, this is going to be a horror movie because it doesn't become a horror movie until like the last 20 minutes. But it's a really hardcore horror movie for it's the last so 20 minutes. It's boring in the beginning. But the first half is more of like a romantic comedy. Yeah. But anyways, the second movie of that week at Joe Bob was Class of 1984. 1984. What was the slogan for this? Uh, is this the future? Question mark. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good catchphrase. Uh, this is directed by Mark L. Lester. Uh, more, more interestingly, it was written by Tom Holland of you know Fright, <gasps> Fright Night and no, <laughs> Fright Night and that that stuff. Um, so. Andy is a new teacher at an inner city high school that is unlike any he has seen before. Hmm. There are metal detectors at the front door. (laughs) Wow, how crazy is that? And the place is basically run by a tough kid named Peter Stegman. Stegman. Uh, Soon, Andy and Stegman become enemies, and Stegman will stop at nothing to protect Mm. his turf and his drug-dealing business. Business. (laughs) Um, I thought this was okay. Tell me your thoughts about this movie. I thought the first half, I was like, eh, what is going on? Do mm. I care? But then I thought the payoff was really satisfying, so I ended up liking it. Yeah, I like the end of the movie, although I know this is a weird one to like because it's like it, the movie is very much like 
old man afraid of that's why i was kids. like ugh, like where is this going and the only reason the ending is satisfying is because the old man literally kills the yeah. kid <laughs> <laughs> he kills lots of kids uh it's over the top in the beginning. So like the the it's gang the is like they have like a drug ring, a prostitution ring, but yet they still come to school every day and just yeah. like hang out and try to join the band. Like, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> and then this teacher is supposed to be like from Nebraska or somewhere and like this I really want to like change and shape like these kids minds and really make a difference. And then after like the first day, he's like ready to like kill people. He, he, they basically break him. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, I don't like the like scared of the youth kind of. Movies. Yeah. That's kind of like really appeal to me. obnoxious. Um, I will whatever. say there is one, uh, there's what's, uh, what's his name? Um, Oh, did you say the cast? I didn't. So yeah. You got you go Perry ahead. King, Timothy Van Patten. Roddy McDowell. Yeah. Michael Fox. Yeah, he's credited as Michael Fox. <laughs> who, as we might know him as, Michael J. Jay Fox. Fox. That's that <laughs> Michael J. Yeah. Fox? He's like, this must be like one of his first roles. He's so pudgy role. and like, just like, hey guys, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do we know anybody else? I don't think so. Um, yeah, Michael Fox. <laughs> I was going to mention um, that there's a really great scene where Roddy McDowell is basically lost his mind because like these kids keep like they like killed his like rat his classroom rabbits. Yeah, they He's, make like, them out to be teacher. psychopaths. Yeah. Like they mm. kill and they they like attack. They like mug him in the streets. I think. Yeah. Um, and basically he brings a gun into the classroom and he's like asking the kids to answer questions like holding a gun to their head that scene is biology questions. Yeah, that scene is insane. That's know? probably my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, well, he commits to the role. Like, his character is well-rounded and great. Yeah, but Perry King, he has, like, this whole side thing with, like, his wife is pregnant, and then she gets, like, attacked and stuff, and it's just like, eh. This movie felt, in a lot of, I didn't think about it till just now, but this movie feels almost like a trauma movie if you took out the comedy. Yeah. Like, this movie's not funny, not intentionally (laughs) anyways, um, it's, trying to be very scary like this is what high schools will become yeah but he made a sequel that we have to watch oh my god i want to see it so bad because it's it's what class of 1999 yeah. so it, it he made it like in 1990 so it's like nine years in the future uh-huh. um and it stars like all these people malcolm mcdowell and pam greer and patrick kilpatrick <laughs> <laughs> uh just so many people yeah, it, it involves um they use robots to like keep the students in line yeah <laughs> and they're called like extraterrestrial teaching units or something <laughs> like that so yeah i gotta see pam Greer as a robot i really i really <laughs> want to see class of 1999 it's on tubi <laughs> i thought this was okay i think the best i could give it is a three i ended up giving it three and a half um yeah, mainly just because of the the last half or fourth I enjoyed. Yeah, I mean it's kind of fun, but to me the whole thing hinges on a kind of offensive concept. <laughs> so I yeah. don't know if I could really <laughs> like it that much. Um, but Class ninety four is on Prime, Shutter, and Tubi. Yeah, all of a sudden it's everywhere. So whoever owns the rights is trying Class to make. Class ninety four. All right, you want you want to introduce our next one. All right, so the next movie that we watched is Deep End, which came out in 1970 and is directed by our man, 
Jerzy Skolomowski. <laughs> Jerzy Skolomowski. <laughs> who did The Shout, which if you haven't listened to our podcast before, we really, really, really like The Shout. <laughs> basically The Shout cast. We've talked about it a million times. Um, so this movie is about a 15-year-old Mike who takes a job at a local swimming pool or swimming Baths, baths, the bath houses and pool, where he becomes obsessed with an attractive young woman, Susan, who works there as an attendant. Um, although Susan has a fiance, Mike does his best to sabotage the relationship to the extent of stalking both her and her fiance. So this stars Jane Asher, John Mulder Brown, and Carl Michael Vogler. Um, so yeah, this movie, this. It's kind of like another slow burn, I think, where it starts off and I'm like, I'm not sure if I entirely like it. But the more that happens and like the more you think about it later. Yeah. You really I enjoyed it. I agree. This was a movie where like when it ended, I was like, wow, this is weird. Yeah. Um, but the more I've thought about it since we watched it, the more I'm like, that was really good. <laughs> yeah. It feels like, I mean, this little boy just feeling like he has control over Susan's life and like she should be with me like I like her like what is she doing with him and like all he goes through it's very like incel yeah uh, territory agreed. which feels kind of relevant um even though this movie is 50 years old literally. yeah and then it gets super dark at the end but also a realistic probably ending sure. yeah I don't want to spoil the very ending but um Basically, what this movie ends up being about is how it's like it rides this fine line through the whole movie rides this fine line of like his like flirtatiousness is like, oh, he's just like a young like on one hand, it's like, oh, he's just like a young kid. He's just like, you know, he's got this crush and he doesn't know how to handle it. And on the other hand, it's like, oh, he's really creepy and yeah. doing like some really inappropriately destructive molesty sort yeah. of stuff. <laughs> um but it rides a fine line of like anytime it gets starts to get more serious, it like veers back towards like, oh, he's buying a fourth hot dog because yeah. like that's the only thing he can think to do to make it seem like he belongs in this <laughs> like red light district is yeah. he keeps buying hot dogs from the street <laughs> vendor. So he's eating like a million hot dogs. Yeah. Like um, the first half of this film, it feels kind of like just a funny comedic like rom-com almost. Right. And the, but then it keeps pulling back all these different layers. It's like, oh, that's not. And funny. So suddenly <laughs> something really bad happens at the end of the movie and suddenly it makes you look back and be like, oh, all, nobody should have let him get away with all this yeah. stuff this whole time, <laughs> including the girl, really. Like she kind of encourages him to some degree. Um, I would say maybe in the beginning she's just kind of flirting she with doesn't, him. Later she, she, sh she tries does, to shut it down. She says like, no. But like <laughs> in the porno theater, like she definitely like is kind of goofing around with him and not yeah. like, you know. Yeah, but goofing around doesn't mean you're asking no, for I, it. No, I didn't say she's asking for it. I'm saying she doesn't say, like, stop. Yeah. She, like, kind of teases him. Oh, well, yeah, um, I think at that point she's kind of just using him to try and get her fiancé riled up. Yes, agreed, because she's yeah. also having an affair with somebody else. Which is a whole nother creepy layer to this movie. Sure. Can I talk about that? Sure. So, yeah, like, you find out later that she's having an affair with her former teacher, who you also know is a creep, like right off the bat, because he's like peering down his current young classmates like swimsuits when they come the to the pool. Yeah. So it's very it's a lot of gross, icky factors. This movie's all about like inappropriate sexual behavior in the workplace. Yeah. <laughs> um, Don't do that. But it is also very funny and 
charming up until the point when it's mm-hmm. not. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a weird, hard movie to describe because on one hand you want to be like, oh, it's really kind of silly, like yeah, sex romp or whatever. What it seems like. But then it's like, oh, it's also like scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's really, really interesting. Uh, just makes me want to watch even more of Skolomowski's movies. We've seen two of them now, and they've both been really different and interesting than anything else I've seen before. Yeah, I looked up his other, his like third most known movie called Essential Killing, mm-hmm. which is like a recent movie, 2010. Oh, weird. And I watched the trailer, and I was like, this just seems odd. <laughs> like, hmm. I don't know if I'd be into it or not, because it's about like a terrorist guy who kills American soldiers, escapes, and then it becomes like a survival film in the woods of like Poland. Hmm. <laughs> so I don't know what the message totally is um, because I saw some other people's reviews. They're like, oh, they made the good guy the terrorist murderer. Yeah, that's cool. interesting. Well, <laughs> das Boot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his fourth most known movie, Moonlighting, stars Jeremy Irons. It's really young Jeremy Irons, 1982. Jeremy Irons. That's Jeremy Irons on yeah. the poster? I thought it was, I almost thought it was Ethan Hawke at yeah. first. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah. So I'm interested to see. That has a higher rating than the other one. Yeah, because so. these Deep End and The Shout are two really fascinating movies, I think, yeah. that really deserve multiple viewings. Yeah. So yeah, that's Deep End from 1970. Um, I gave it four stars. I did as well. Um, let's, t- oh boy, let's take a dive. <laughs> let's take a dive down now oh. from really interesting oh, to next. really not uh. interesting. Uh, we finally decided to bite the bullet and watch the new mutants. <laughs> I don't know new why. It's more like old mutants. <laughs> I don't know why really. Cause we never even, we never saw, um, well, this doesn't the, have much to do with that. What one. was the other one? Like called? dark Phoenix yeah, or something. Dark Phoenix saga or whatever. Um, Ugh. Yeah, boy. So New Mutants, if you don't know, is the X, the last Fox X-Men movie that got delayed by like two years. Yeah. It, like the Bond movie that still hasn't come out. It kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed because they kept reshooting stuff and then like pandemic stuff. And they finally just put it out like a couple months ago. Yeah. Finally came out 2020. Um, I think it was supposed to come out in theaters last year and then HBO like pushed it. Um, originally for releasing and it's directed by josh boone who i did not realize that the fault in our stars like why would you go from that to this like that's such a weird jump yeah i don't know i guess just like like for me it feels like this movie could have been great if they had like stuck to the horror aspect make it rated r have like a horror director and horror writers like really push this crazy Mm. stuff but instead they just go for like this middle of the road boring like who am i who am what are my roots like you know it, i just don't care about it feels it. you know it reminds me of like um uh almost like alien 3 like it feels like this is a movie written by a corporation yeah and not by a person there's just no plot and like no yeah, meaning no emotion it's just a bunch of familiar like stranger things kids with uh-huh. bad cgi put in <laughs> yep Like it just, it feels very plain that there was not like a central cohesive uh, writer for this movie. It feels like a million people had put in notes on this movie. And and so the plot barely makes any sense and doesn't feel like a story at all. No, It's like an after school special. Kind of. Although I couldn't even tell you what the lesson is. Really? Be proud to be Native American. I I I don't know. (laughs) know. Um, Yeah. At the end of the movie, they fight a giant CGI bear, which is like the dumbest thing ever. And it's made dumber by the fact that they keep commenting on it. Like, 
Anya Taylor-Joy is like, uh, come here, demon bear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me even say the cast. Maisie Williams, Anya Taylor-Joy, Charlie Heaton, Alice Braga, Blue Hunt, Henry Zaga, mm-hmm. Adam Beach. Anyway, a lot of familiar faces. Like, yeah. I love Anya Taylor-Joy. And then mm-hmm. this is just like, I can't take her seriously. <laughs> the accent is weird. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this was supposed to be the big horror superhero movie, which I hope we still one day get because I think that yeah. could be really interesting. There's like, w- there's Why do one. They always mess up the X Men movies. Yeah, it's like really we loved X Men First Class, and we're like, oh, they could do so much, like each decade or whatever, and they just jump straight to like 1980s. Like you just missed all of the in between. It is like- so frustrating <laughs> because it seems like every time they do a new, they like kind of reboot it. Like X Men and X Two, great. Mm-hmm. X Three total garbage uh first first stand i mean uh, not first stand um first, first class, class great uh days of future past pretty good uh what was the next one apocalypse total garbage <laughs> and this is total garbage yeah. so maybe maybe now that disney uh, and marvel has the x-men again maybe the first of that one will be great and then they'll go to Although garbage that makes again. me like I'm sorry, tired of Marvel like Agreed. having all the superhero movies. They're always the same, and you always have to watch like 17 films for one storyline. I mean, on one hand, I would say yes, I agree with you. On the other hand, I would say yeah, but the last like three have been real good. Like I really liked Endgame. I really liked um, uh, Thor Ragnarok. But other than the Thor movies, I agree. Except like if you want to rewatch like Avengers Endgame, movies. you have to watch like the five movies before that, yeah, before no, you can watch it. I don't disagree with on that. Like one. there's nothing that standalone except for Thor Rag- Ragnarok, which is, it why is a standalone film. If they do an X-Men movie <laughs> and they're able to do it kind of its own thing, then it might be cool. But yeah, I'm yeah. sure they'll try and fold it into an X-Men. I mean, Avengers kind of thing, but I don't know. I love the X-Men just in general. I, I'm big fans of, of that. That was my entrance into Marvel comics. Just give it, back to whoever did the cartoon in the 90s that was amazing (laughs) yeah um but anyways yeah this movie's terrible uh i gave it a two stars i gave it two and i would maybe lower it yeah i'd say that's pretty generous honestly i was gonna say there was one scene that i really liked can you guess what it was no it's the only horror scene in the whole movie really which one with the burning skeleton in the pool Oh, yeah, that was cool. That was a good, cool effect um, and interesting concept. But, yeah, that was the only part of the movie I really liked. I was mm. like five minutes of its <laughs> hour and a half runtime or whatever. Yep, yep, yep. But I guess I'm glad we watched it. I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> I don't know why we did. Because we didn't want to have to watch something serious. <laughs> yeah, we were having a bad day. We are like, let's just watch new movies. <laughs> Not While a good While I choice. do other things. <laughs> uh, so next up, we watched a real cool movie. Uh, and that movie is Ghost Dog, or as Michelle called it, Ghost Samurai. Ghost Samurai! Ghost Dog, <laughs> The Way of the Samurai, directed by Jim Jarmusch from 1999. Um, an African-American mafia hitman who models himself after the samurai of old finds himself targeted for death by the mob. Starring Forrest Whitaker, John Tormey, Cliff Gorman, Henry Silva, Isaac <laughs> Harley's Little chiming in. Harley, <laughs> Isaac de Bancole, who yeah. I has I cannot pronounce his name right, but I actually love this dude. He's in Black Panther. He's in um, Casino Royale, and uh, what was the, what was the thing? I oh Limits of Control. He's the main character. Mm-hmm. He's in a bunch of stuff. Calvary, Miami Vice. Anyways, um, so you talk about this movie since this was your first time seeing it. 
Um, so I wanted to watch it because, I don't know, <laughs> we've been watching cool. Jim Jarmusch movies. Jarmusch? Have we? <laughs> we watched The Dead Don't Die and Only Lovers Left Alive oh, yeah. not That's too long ago. ago. Yeah. So yeah, I haven't really seen too many of his films, Um, so I wanted to watch this. It's been on Criterion Channel for a while and I thought about buying it, but I was like, I, I don't know, this. I really hated The Dead Don't Die. I don't know if this is going to be good. Um. But I ended up liking it a lot. I thought Forrest Whitaker was really good. Um, yes. I also was pleasantly surprised at how many like comedic running gags were going. It's very funny, actually. Yeah, yeah. there are a lot of funny moments. Um, and the only thing I thought was ridiculous is like Forrest Whitaker swinging his gun around like a sword when he puts like, it back. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. Mm. When he sheaths his gun. <laughs> but yeah, this guy is just a total nerd. Who's just like living up his like, uh, <laughs> samurai lifestyle, like taking care of pigeons. And Basically, it's very weird. <laughs> it's like he owes a life debt to this mafia guy because the mafia guy like helped him, saved him yeah. from like a mugger. And when he was a kid. And so basically he's become like a hired killer to like, pay this guy back um i love that this like rides a perfect line between like deadly serious and really silly yeah all the time like all the stuff with the mobsters it reminds me of like the way mobsters are in like david lynch movies and like twin peaks the return like the mafia guys like they're really goofy and they talk real slow or they or like there's an old guy who just like yells all the time (laughs) (laughs) um and everybody's always watching cartoons in this movie well, yeah, it also does a lot with between like the old generation and new generation, uh-huh. um, youth versus like seniors and stuff. Um, in a much more interesting way than class of yeah, 1984. <laughs> because like all the old mafia guys are watching like the classic cartoons, but then as soon as like someone new takes over, it's we're watching Simpsons. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I didn't even notice that. I just thought the Simpsons stuff, all the itchy, all the cartoons that they watch are relevant to something that's just about to happen or just yeah. happened. Um, <laughs> This movie has an awesome score by RZA from Wu-Tang Clan. RZA. Not the RZA. (laughs) Um, It's a really kind of like heavy hip hop score, but it's also kind of understated in the same, in a weird way. Um, I also love this movie has lots of references to Brand to Kill that we watched last month, I think. Yeah. So you get like a bird instead of a butterfly landing on a sniper gun thing you get a bird landing on it yeah and then the the crazy scene shooting (laughs) up a pipe drain yeah he shoots up a drain from the basement up through a sink which is much less silly as it is in branded to kill it actually feels the way they shoot it makes it feel like could that work yeah (laughs) no it couldn't but it's awesome i also like um near the end where he's like well there's a lot of like narration and like the way of the samurai code um and how you're supposed to do things and i like at the end you're like okay there's gonna be some huge like big battle probably coming mm-hmm. and he's like the samurai ways to do it as quickly and efficiently as possible so it's just it is like no like i'm gonna like sneak in and do this it's no, like i'm it's just gonna really walk cool. in and shoot everybody <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like i actually appreciated that <laughs> yeah uh, the whole thing where he like invades their like mansion and takes everybody out was really cool yeah um 
I love the gag. I mean, you said how funny this movie is. I love the repeated gag that like his best friend is the Isaac de Benkel guy who's a French actor who only speaks French. Yeah. And so they don't understand each other's languages, but it's clear that they do understand each other because yeah. they're constantly like, <laughs> he's like, well, I got to go take care of some business before the sun goes down. So I'll see you later. And he's like, oh, I guess you must have to take some care of some business because the sun's going down. Yeah. <laughs> like they keep understanding each other, not realizing it. It's a really, really good recurring gag yeah. that I liked a lot. And I like the little girl that he becomes friends with mm -hmm. and kind of like Perrine. passes on the torch to her. Yeah. This is a really interesting, cool movie. Um, it's probably in my, it's definitely my like top three Jim Jarmusch movies. Well, for it's sure. also like, I know it's like a samurai film, but it's also like a Western, like the whole standoff at the end. Sure. I was like, oh, this is like a Western. <laughs> it's funny because it's definitely samurai, definitely Western, but it also does not feel like a very, no. um, it's not a forced or fake uh, uh, black community movie either. Yeah. Like it feels very authentic to that mm -hmm. culture too, uh, which is really cool. Um, so yeah, I like this movie a lot. Yeah, I ended up liking it too. Uh, it's a four star for me. I get four stars and it's on Criterion channel. Yeah, and so it's a Criterion movie, which more. we should we need to get. Yeah. So good job, Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, what's next? Next up are our last two movies are from the most recent episode of Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs on Shutter. Um, we watched Bride of Reanimator and Next of Kin. So we've talked about both of these movies within like the last year or so on the podcast. So we won't go into like a ton of detail. But um, do you have them pulled up? Because I haven't actually entered yeah. these in my letterbox yet. So Bride of Reanimator came out in 1990 and is directed by Brian Yuzna. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a sequel to Reanimator, uh, which features Herbert West, who, Herbert West. yeah. So in this film, he is once again reviving the dead. And this time he brings Dan's ex-girlfriend's heart back inside a perfect body. Um, and Dr. Hill returns as the evil nemesis who lost his head, literally. Uh, so... Jeffrey Combs plays Herbert West. So he's like this mad scientist who's obsessed with reanimating bodies and kind of figuring out how to keep people alive indefinitely. Mm -hmm. So he does a lot of weird science experiments like to figure out um, like does the body, do body parts have consciousness? Uh, does the human brain stay intact? Like stuff like that. And yeah. then his friend who is Dan played by Bruce Abbott. Um, he kind of goes along with all of it. Cause I don't know why Yeah, I <laughs> he's guess like sort of, he, Herbert is always kind of manipulating him yeah. into doing these things that he wants. And Dan is sort of dead inside because his girlfriend, his girlfriend Barbara died. Crampton died. Yeah. So In understandable. The film. <laughs> um, and then you also get, is it Claude Earl Jones? Uh, yeah, no, that's the detective. Sorry. Um, David Gale. Yeah, that's, that the, that's the head. So David Gale, he's from the first reanimator who's like this uh, other scientist who is exploring like life after death and reanimation, but never took it far enough, ends up dying. But in this one, he's just ahead and he also has like bat, bat wings, wings so he can <laughs> fly around and like control uh, the other reanimated bodies through his mind. And who else is in this, Michelle? Fabiana Udinho. A.K.A. <laughs> A lot of China yeah. from Austin Powers. <laughs> so Fabiana uh, is like the new love interest, but she's also like Argentinian. <laughs> or she, she is Argentinian. They meet like in, in a life. civil war somewhere. 
I can't remember, in South America. In like Bolivia, I think, or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she comes to the U.S. to like visit and see them. But yeah, she plays uh, a lot of Vagina and Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah. And Kathleen Kinmont, I think, is the girl who's like, she's like dying in the hospital and... Yeah, and um, they use end up using her head for the yeah, Frankenstein so body. Jeffrey Combs' character is basically building a Frankenstein body this this time around. Yeah, uh, this is the third time I've seen it. I will say I liked it better this time because it's one of those, it's one of these movies where like I thought it was okay, but watching it with Joe Bob, who has who loves the movie and has a lot of uh, appreciation for it, made me appreciate it a little bit more. Um. I still think the plot is a mess. It's all over the place, which yeah, it sounds like it may, that makes sense because they basically wrote it in like a week. Well, yeah, it starts off like eight months after the accident and there's like in a civil war. And then they like, I don't know how much more after time. the massacre yeah. at Miskatonic University. And then they're like at this battle zone and then they come back to the same hospital. Like, why would they get hired at the yeah. same exact hospital where yeah. they massacred everybody? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. No. And there's like there's almost like too many plot lines going around. Like The stuff with um, uh, what's this? What's the character's name again? Damn it. The uh, Dr. Hill. The stuff of Dr. Hill doesn't really feel like it has anything to do with anything else except yeah. that they wanted to have him come back and be a flying head. Which, yeah. I mean, I can understand that. And then there's like a subplot with the cops investigating because his wife was like reanimated and he's very upset and wants to get to the bottom Which leads of the to truth. one of the best lines in the movie. Yeah, he's like, shoot him, Dan. He's a wife beater. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you find out he accidentally, he actually killed his yeah. uh, wife. <laughs> um, but I will so the plot's a huge mess and there's a lot of things that I don't, yeah. that I'm not but, crazy about. But, but. If you just take this movie as a showcase for 80s special effect, or 80s early 90s special effects, it's awesome. Yeah. There's because they make all these like weird little creatures out of like let's put a leg and a hand together. <laughs> I made a pigeon rat. <laughs> or um yeah, he they make this little creature that's like four fingers and an eyeball that just like it's like yeah. a little spider that walks around. <laughs> like the effects on that stuff are fantastic. Uh and the look of the bride uh, when she is reanimated is she's very cool. gooey very and gooey. skinless and but also not skinless it's like more like <laughs> really what it would look like if you sewed a bunch of body parts together and then take note dan uh what yeah. was it skin uh, rejection or uh, tissue rejection yeah or tissue rejection <laughs> yeah take but note. yeah i mean the best part is jeffrey combs obviously because yeah. he just like totally gets into the character and all of his lines are delivered in such like a comedic way. <laughs> yes. Like there's that part near the beginning when they're like the girl in the hospital is like, uh, I think the only thing about me that isn't sick is my head. And Herbert like turns around yeah. and he's like, hmm. Mm, let's he's take like, a look here. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it more this time. I still, I mean, it's nothing compared to the first one, yeah. but it is a lot of fun. This would be a great movie to watch with a group on Halloween for yeah. sure. Um, I agree. <laughs> it's probably uh, still a three and a half for me, I think. I give it three and a half as well. And it's on Prime, Shutter, and Tubi. Yeah. And the second movie from Joe Bob uh, this week was Next of Kin. So Next of Kin came out in 1982 and directed by Tony Williams. Um, this is Australian horror. Yep. Uh, so in a rest home for elderly people, a daughter reads her mother's diary soon of... Soon, events that are mentioned in the mother's diary begin to happen to the daughter. That doesn't give you, like, any plot. <laughs> yeah, it really doesn't. So, like, 
uh, this girl's mom dies and she comes back to take over the nursing home that her mother ran. Uh, but it's like falling on hard times and she doesn't want to really have anything to do with the nursing home anymore. So she's planning on shutting it down after like the seniors uh, kind of go away, <laughs> go away <laughs> to another Yikes. place. Um, uh, but then <laughs> I wish you could have seen which listeners could have seen the hand motion with other. Once the seniors go away, let her away. Anyways, go on. Uh, but then mysteriously people start dying too quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of creepy things are happening around the house and she's trying to figure out is through her mother's haunted? diary. Yeah. Is it haunting? Is there a murder? Is there a murder? Um, and then she's also dealing with like just being back in her small town that she's avoided for like 10 years. Right. With Bonnie, her boyfriend. Bonnie. <laughs> Bonnie, who's in the fire brigade. Yeah. Um, yeah. I liked this more the second time. Same. I don't know how much we talked about it on the podcast before, but. um, I don't m- know if we even did because I don't remember liking it that much the first time. Yeah, it's time. possible we did. And I don't remember. Um, I think this movie, it's a really interesting one because it's a really slow burn for most of it. I mean, what I think what this movie is to the extent that a movie like this can be famous, what it's famous for is the ending because the last 15 minutes of this movie are bananas. Yeah. The it's crazy. Entire ending makes it pretty worth well, it. Well, because it goes from like a, a semi haunted house movie to like a slasher, mm-hmm. like on a pin drop. And becomes really intense slasher for like 10 minutes and then becomes like an action movie for the last like yeah. five minutes. It's really crazy. Um, I, my only real, it's kind of a biggish problem with this movie is that the, the big chunk of this movie up until the ending, it's really slow. Um, and I think I was comparing it while we were watching it to like house, uh, house of the devil is also super duper slow but that movie, the entire time leading up to the big finale, you're getting these little hints and things that make it really suspenseful. Yeah, so by this, the time it gets scary, you're already really scared. Yeah, the hints in this movie are so like They're minute, too subtle. you can't even pick up on them half the time. Um, but I do like how similar, like with House of the Devil, um, you're kind of exploring. Well, maybe not so much, but in this one, it's like, oh, is this house haunted? And then it's like, no, there's probably a simpler explanation. Yeah. You're not realizing that we've been showing you the entire time. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, one, I really wanted to mention the movie is shot really, really well. Yeah. That stood out for me more this time because, like, there's this. The first, like, one of the first deaths that you see, there's a bathtub, like mm. a man in a bathtub who's like, drowned or underwater and some guy steps on it but you see like the uh dead guy's face like it's squished like through the bathtub and then when they're like pulling him out for a minute you think like oh he's like a zombie he's like about to attack but it's really yeah the, it's really it cool cuts, like the cut is so smooth that it's actually like the people taking him out of the bathtub mm-hmm. to go to the morgue yeah and like i won't spoil it but the final shot of the movie is really cool and um there's like this cool hallway scene yeah that's overhead. what i was gonna say when 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 she's like escaping from the slasher part of the movie um yeah there's like this really great slow-mo two great slow-mo shots right in a row that are yeah. really cool that scene and kind of the ending reminded me a lot of texas chainsaw massacre yeah, totally. because like 
one it's very similar how like she runs out of the uh yep. chainsaw house like yep. arms up flailing and running and escaping in a truck yeah a white truck too like <laughs> um so yeah there's a lot of similarities to like other horror movies but um what were you gonna say i was gonna say too that this is always gets compared to being like it's like an australian giallo movie like it's about a mysterious killer and it's more it's like a mystery that becomes a horror movie at the yeah. end which is like a lot of like Dario argento movies mm-hmm. um yeah this movie's kind of great if i wish if it was a lot if it was a little quicker in the beginning yeah um i would be a little more into it but um this is a really interesting movie it's kind of cool that it's getting a renaissance recently yeah. Um, because I think it hadn't, it had been semi lost for a long time, but yeah, definitely worth a watch. Um, it's on shutter and Tubi right now. Apparently Tubi has everything shutter has. Yeah. Well, it's cause <laughs> I wonder why, <laughs> why well, yeah, anything that, I don't know, this movie's probably semi public domain now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I gave it a three and a half. I did as well. Which I could, I don't know. It's weird. I could almost bump that up to a four. We'll probably watch it again. Yeah. And then we'll be like, ah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's a really interesting movie. <laughs> All right, so now that's it for our roundup. Yeah. yeah. But uh, now we're going to jump into our mini segment, which we're just going to quickly talk about the Oscars. Shake it. Yeah. Shake it. All right, so we're going to talk about the Oscars, the weirdest Oscars ever. Yeah, from our living room. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just right off the bat, I mean, we talked about when we talked about our predictions. This is the Oscars, the least interested I've been in the Oscars in my movie-watching lifetime, <laughs> I think. Uh, I don't know why, really. Partially because, just as always, it's like the same six movies get nominated for every single award. And like, also, it's been like, I mean, it's May. <laughs> Basically, yeah, it's, it's almost been May. too long. And yeah, these movies all came out forever ago. Um, also, we didn't get the same like fun movie watching experience yeah, this year. So it's hard part. to like really connect with any of these films. Like, oh, I watched it on HBO. Like, Correct. <laughs> and and usually we get to go over to our buddies, Kyle and Hannah's cool condo to watch uh, watch the movies and have a big party with every, all of our friends. Yeah. And we didn't get to do that. So that makes it a lot less fun. Yeah. Too. Usually I win a book in the trivia and I didn't get my book this year. Yeah. <laughs> so do we, uh, do we want to talk about like overall impressions first or like uh, just like about stuff that won first? Do overall first. Okay. So biggest change was that it was kind of a hybrid event. Um, so it's online and in person, which I didn't realize it was going to be in person yeah, at I all. Either. I thought it was it's, all going to be from home. In yeah. So obviously the crowd or the attendees were way smaller. There was maybe what, like 30 tables and people spread out between them. Yep. Um, it was sort of not really hosted. So Regina King kind of had the opening credits, which I did like. So that was cool. Who directed Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, so he kind of made the whole thing have a movie vibe, I guess. So the opening credits was cool, and it kind of listed, like, the presenters and some other stuff, and Regina King just looking awesome. Yeah. Power walking through the train station or whatever it was. 
Um, but then it also some of the attendees, they had a satellite viewing at the BFI Institute yeah. Yeah. with all the British people who couldn't leave the country <laughs> all had to folks. sit in one theater together. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then a couple of streaming like from France, I think, and nobody's living room that I saw. No, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So did you... Th- I don't know. I heard it was the least watch Oscars. That doesn't surprise me. Cause but I, it was difficult to try and watch. Like yeah, all these people don't have cable or public TV anymore. Yeah. Like, we had like uh, seen an article. It was like, we don't have cable. And we saw an article. It was like, how to stream the Oscars. We're like, oh, okay, well this should be easy. Yeah. There's like four different places that are streaming. We had the hardest time finding someplace that was streaming it. Uh, yeah. We thought it was going to be on YouTube, there but it was all just these, a stupid pre-show. Or, well, and it was all these fake, people that were just trying yeah. to get monetized stuff by tricking people into streaming. Uh, and yeah, eventually we just had to like use my mom's uh, <laughs> cable login to yeah. watch it on ABC's app. Cause we couldn't find anywhere other way to do it. <laughs> and then that was also kind of a bummer because we were like two minutes behind real time. Yeah. So everybody on Twitter would be yeah, like, Oh my like, God, I can't believe this one. And we'd be like, well, I guess we know what's going to win. Yeah, I was That's trying like to it. like live tweet along and it was like, Oh wait, they've already announced it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that was a little annoying. Uh, and then they did some weird stuff too. Like, I mean, the weirdest thing by we'll far. We'll save that for the okay. end. Okay. <laughs> we'll save yeah. it. <laughs> Anybody who's listening to this podcast knows what we're talking yeah. about, but. Um, so yeah, having no host was fine. And then having, I mean, they did the same format last year where it's like the previous years, people just presented whatever. And no, uh, thank God, no, no musical yeah. performances, which I wish they would just do that every year. I don't know how I feel about some of the movies. They showed clips and some they didn't <laughs> they showed clips for international feature. And what was the other one? Animated feature. Yeah. But none of the other, or it's, it was almost like that was a mistake. Yeah. Like they weren't supposed to show clips for those two either. Cause and what then, a weird two categories to do it for. I saw a lot of people were mad because the promising young woman picture they picked was of Bo Burnham and not <laughs> the promising young woman. That's like, funny. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff, little things like that. Yeah, it was like, that's, mm, that's an odd choice. Um, but we did get a great, uh, Glenn Close moment. Yeah. So, sorry about some of our favorite moments. Yeah. That was pretty funny if it yeah. wasn't staged. If it was staged, I'm just gonna stupid. believe it was. I don't think staged. it was. I'm gonna believe it. Glenn Close knows a lot about the butt and Spike yeah. Lee's like uh, days, school days movie, and I'm just gonna live in that life. I thought that was pretty funny <laughs> that it was like let's make fun of white people, and then she yeah. like knew exactly She's what like, the no, answer it's was. No, it's the butt, and then she did the the butt. Pretty funny. <laughs> and then we have a hundred memes to go with the butt. And then we had Daniel Kaluuya um, in his acceptance speech saying. Uh, <laughs> at the end saying like isn't it just amazing like my mom and dad had sex and now here i am yeah and then cut to his and mom his and mo- sister his mom and sister were on like satellite BFI. yeah we're like what that was great that it was, was really so funny. Uh, it was so weird because like his first two-thirds of his speech was obviously like rehearsed and like i like to think this and thank god and all this and then it's like and then my mom and dad had sex yeah i thought it was really funny yeah um uh, what were some of the other good funny or fun moments um I liked um, the oh. grandma from Minari hitting on Brad Pitt. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, now we're just talking about all the winners, though. Maybe we should just jump into yeah, that. Yeah, let's jump into it. That was my favorite win for the night, for sure. Uh, what's her name? Yoon Ye Jung. Yeah. Uh, one for Minari. She played the grandmother in Minari. Who, that was the one of these that I think we were like, of our, like, I wish yeah. this would get nominated and win. She was my number one pick for supporting actress. Yeah. So that's really cool for that to happen. I was also glad they did pronounce the entire Borat title. 
Yeah. <laughs> Even though I think Regina King got it wrong in one spot. <laughs> she sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Just, Just kidding. go home, <laughs> Regina King. <laughs> um, yeah. Leading actress, that. Frances McDormand did her wolf howl. Oh! <laughs> yeah. You can always count on Frances McDormand to do some yeah. weird stuff. Uh, out of all of those, I kind of figured we thought she would win, but I thought maybe Viola Davis would win too, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, I was fine with it. Um, we'll save the um, actor for the end. Yeah, I liked Daniel Kaluuya one for supporting actor, which is cool, yeah. except that that should have been actor, not supporting actor. But um, yeah, that that irritated me. Like, I mean, the character he's playing is yeah. literally <laughs> part of the title of the literally movie. Literally the lead. Um, and then we get Soul for animated film, which was pretty, uh, pretty obvious. Didn't expect that octopus movie to win. <laughs> best documentary my favorite part of it i mean there's nothing wrong with that but i it was just funny because then the rest of the tweets of the night were talking about like the octopus being at the oscars backstage and stuff well we're apparently like, the octopus died Aw. and everyone's like why did you think the octopus and they were like well uh there's that octopus that plays drums and aquaman what how come yeah. that didn't get nominated uh um, yeah i mean some of the obvious stuff that we knew was gonna win like soul for animated and soul for best score Cinematography were... went to Mank, which I think we assumed. I didn't oh, assume we thought that. No, Nomadland. that was a surprise. Yeah, I thought Nomadland for but, sure. I mean, I think it makes sense that Mank I won don't. with I, all the... Makes, that's kind of annoying to me. It's yeah. like, oh, but cool. I just copied somebody else's <laughs> cinematography from 100 years ago. The whole movie ago. is just I copied somebody yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, Mank, I, I like it less and less the more the farther we get from it, yeah. to be honest. Costume design, we realized they made a Pinocchio film. <laughs> it didn't win, but yeah. Said everybody else while watching. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Um, directing, we did get Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, which was great. So Pretty she's cool. only the second female director in the last 20 years and a hundred years yeah. <laughs> to well, win. Chloe Zhao is really cool. Mm -hmm. I like her. I really lot. liked her outfit. Her yeah. dress was cool. She's wearing sneakers. And she had sneakers. And she like just braided her hair. <laughs> she's pretty cool. That's how I would go to the Oscars probably. So, yeah. you know, very cash. Um, oh, uh, another round. Was that best international feature? Yeah. So that was a good way. That was a good uh, speech. Yeah. It's really cool because it won best international feature and the uh, director, Thomas Ventura, gave this very emotional speech about how he made it in honor of his daughter and how it's a very personal <laughs> film. Uh, it's very specific to him and to Danish culture. And so immediately after that, Leonardo DiCaprio was like, I could do that and decides he's <laughs> going to remake it. Remake star and probably direct Which or really something. irritates the hell out <laughs> of me. And not have Mads Mikkelsen in so it. So stupid. Yeah. Um, but anyways, that's neither here nor there. Film editing went to Sound of Metal, which I was surprised. Sound of Metal won a couple things, right? Yeah. Sound and... Is it just sound and editing? I think so. I don't know if it won, like, screenplay Yeah, or I think anything. that was it. Um, but that's pretty cool, because I agree on both of those. I think mm -hmm. both of them were really edited very well. Uh, I mean, it was edited really well, and best. And the sound design one is a gimme, but I, you know, I never trust yeah. my instinct on that <laughs> anymore, because a bunch of terrible stuff tends to win the sound awards. Um, oh, Emerald Fennel, she won for Promising Young Woman as original screenplay. Yeah, that's cool. So another lady. There were a lot of ladies. I think the hair and makeup for Ma Rainey, they won. Um, yeah, and I don't remember if it was hair and makeup or costume design. It both might have been both. Both went to Ma Rainey. One of those, it was the first time a black woman's ever won for that category, so that's cool. Yeah. I think it was the makeup and hairstyling. Um... um 
Oh, visual effects obviously went to Tenet. I was like, happy about that. That's the, that's the only thing Tenet deserves. So we were sad for. he didn't walk backwards onto stage. Yeah, the guy should have walked backwards and spoken backwards. Now that would have been entertaining. Yeah. Then I'd tune back in next year. Um, so should we talk about the big awards? Uh, Yeah. And we already talked about some of them, but well, the father also won for adapted screenplay, mm. which I, I get, it was adapted from a play, I think. Yeah. Um, and that was fine, but yeah, that leads us to the fiasco that <sighs> is the best picture slash actor in a leading role. So bizarre debacle. <laughs> so they did best picture, not at the end. It was third from last. Third from last, they saved the best actress and actor. For the end, which was a horrible gamble. Yeah, that did and not I pay do off. not like so it. So Nomadland <laughs> won Best Picture, and it's like, cool, this is, should be yeah. the end of the night, but it's not. That's usually how they end and it. And then they were like, and, and so, and everybody on Twitter at the time was like, okay, this is really bizarre, yeah. but clearly they're just, they want to end the night with Chadwick Boseman winning. Yeah, for and then Best they do Actor. Best Actress, and it's Frances McDormand. She goes up on stage <laughs> and acts crazy, <laughs> as she normally does. Um, and then they get the best actor and it's Joaquin Phoenix reading it. And he's like being weird as hell as always. I he's like, I'm not going to read, ass, I'm like, not going to read the script. I'm just going to say like acting is amazing. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what he said, but it's just weird. And then guess who won? Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> not Chadwick Boseman. And so, and then they just Whoops. end it. Whoopsies. And like, I don't know if this is true, but I saw on Twitter that, if Joaquin Phoenix had read the script that they were going to let Olivia Coleman accept it. So she would have given a speech for Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. But it would have been at, le at least, us at least yeah, something. something to end the night with. But yeah, like why would you gamble? I mean, everybody thought it was going to happen, but it didn't. So weird. It's like, so why would weird. you end it with this? And what did you have planned? Like, yeah, really strange. I assume his wife would have made a speech, but that was so weird. And other, like, I don't know. The other kind of strange thing we forgot to mention was they did the in memoriam, except it was like, Oh my God. It was double speed. Up. <laughs> was I saw somebody fast. complain about that too. It's like, this is a little it's disrespectful. Like, yeah. It's like, you're not supposed to time it with the music beats. You're supposed to like give each person like a second to respectfully get their moment. Yeah. It was crazy. But like, I don't know. They didn't do. I'm think is Heath Ledger the last person who posthumously won it? Yeah. Um, like they didn't the swap awards. around his award no, like for the end. Um, so it was just very weird. It was really strange. And plus, it takes away from Chloe Zhao's big moment. Agreed. Totally. Like, agreed. Everybody ends with best picture. Cool. Like, you I'm gave her like two minutes sure on Anthony stage, Hopkins and that's it. Wasn't there? Yeah. <laughs> really appreciated being the big finale of the of the Oscars. I do. Th I get. I don't understand all the people who are mad at him for not being there. It's like no. or giving a speech. It's like it's so rude. He didn't um, like stream in. It's like he's like ninety years yeah, old. He's eighty three in Wales. And what time, in a country that's locked down? What time down. would it have been in England? Like 4 a.m. That's really how late it was while it was It was super happening? late, yeah. I didn't even think about that while it was happening. Yeah, like, come on. Let They're like, why sleep. would you think this 83-year-old man who nobody thought was going to win in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, he didn't even go to, like, the BAFTAs or whatever in his country. Like, why yeah. would he go to this? Pretty weird. Um, but, yeah. I. What are your overall 
impressions. Are you happy with most of the stuff that won or what? I am. I haven't seen Ma Rainey, um, but yeah. I thought Anthony Hopkins was amazing in The Father. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, if you take I'm not away, upset that he won. Right. If you take away the uh, upset factor about how sad it was, and it is still, yeah, uh, about Chadwick Boseman, then, I mean, yeah, I mean, who else was nominated? I mean, there were a, lot, a couple of good people. Oh, Riz, Riz Ahmed. Ahmed. I would have been really happy for yeah, him to win, Gary too. Gary Oldman. And Stephen Young. I would have been happy with Young. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot he was nominated, too. Um, um, yeah, so, I mean, it was, all those nominations for Best Actor were really good. Yeah, it's it just, just made it more upsetting. The way they upsetting. did it was really weird, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I was mostly, I was pretty happy with most of the stuff that won i still i think the nominations were still kind of nonsense like there was a lot of great movies that yeah. didn't get any recognition at all um but uh yeah i mean i'm i'm okay with nomadland winning most of the stuff it's a great movie and i like close out yeah i, like I didn't Begoran see a lot. like what the um final total was was nomadland the top winner oh, yeah. it won picture actress director uh did it win anything else no, but I think that's more than anything else. Mank won two. three, two. Myrani won two. Soul won two. So yeah. kind of Minari spread won out. one. Um, but yeah. So I don't know. I mean, you know, some good stuff won. A lot of good stuff didn't get recognized at all, which is just, I mean, that's kind of how it usually is. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, we'll see how this year goes. Uh, yeah, uh, my interest in the We're Oscars is We're going to get so waning. many movies just shoved in our face in the next three months. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Not like, really. Come back to the movie theater. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about anything. Is it what's coming out that we're actually excited about? Anything? Lots of horror movies. Well, yeah, but that's... We get like Candyman and Halloween Kills. Oh, yeah, and... both of those are October, though. Yeah. That's a while from now. Well, there's that Wes Anderson film. Ooh, Black Widow. Oh, God. I thought you were for real for nope. a moment. I am not for I'm real. I'm excited for the uh, French Dispatch. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's an, at least another big name that we like who is supposed to come out with a movie, but mm, now I don't know. I don't know. They're, they're there, Harper. I suppose. <laughs> Just usually there's like a new Christopher Nolan movie or a new... Well, there already was, and we didn't like Coen it. Coen Brothers movie <laughs> or something that's coming out in the summer or a, bit, or a new Marvel movie that looks good or something. But yeah, right now there's not that much. I'm I don't remember if the next Love Thor movie is this year. year. It I might. I feel like it might be a year, a more a year. Batman's not until next year. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's my reaching the end of this dust <laughs> trail, this podcast. Yeah, so Oscars... They were fine. It was all right. I'm looking forward to next year to watch it with people. Yeah. So we can all react in the same room. Agreed. Um, yeah. So I think that's it for this episode. But uh, don't forget, you can always see a list of all the movies we talked about on our Letterboxd. And you can follow us on Twitter at Spliced Podcast or on Facebook that we never, ever update at Spliced <laughs> Together. Let us know what you watched this month and uh, let us know what you think of Spontaneous and Audition. <laughs> Let us know which one of us is TV right. Show. <laughs> um, Do you like watching people eat barf? Like, I mean, yes or no? <laughs> my hand is raised. <laughs> uh, yeah. People ralphing in dog bowls. Yeah. Like, my God. People ralphing in dog bowls. <laughs> well, I think we should end it there. Um, so we'll see you on another episode of Splice, Splice Together. together.